kid, I liked to read Archie comics. Archie is a high school student, nice guy, kind to his friends, uh, but his generosity doesn't always go as planned. Um, he gets average grades, he has an average number of crushes, he likes sports, and he likes cars. So you might be able to find someone like him in just about any high school. Is Jughead. And Jughead is not average. Jughead is a bit quirky. He's got a massive appetite. He wears a whoopee cap, which is kind of like a crown. And he wears a sweatshirt with an S on it and won't tell anyone what the S stands for. Um, Betty is the girl next door. She's caring, generous, smart. She's in love with Archie. Veronica is a little bit elitist and spoiled, but she's also generous. Lots of generous people in this story, and maybe that's why I liked it. But then there is Reggie. He's charismatic and not in a good way. He's, he's a bit vain. He doesn't understand why he isn't more liked. Like, uh, but easily fooled. Fooled to hang out together. When I think of high school cliques, I think of the sporty kids hanging out together, the Dungeons and Dragons kids hanging out together, the goth kids hanging out together. Separate worlds. They intermingle. And not just Archie Comics, Scooby-Doo, what a group of people. Gilligan's Island, in that case, thrown together by circumstance. Um, Sex and the City, where the main characters are different archetypes, but somehow they, they're friends. Club is a movie I wish I had seen when I was in high school. Five teenagers are given detention on the same Saturday morning. The jock, the nerd, the princess, the rebel, the creative weirdo. They bicker throughout the movie. And in the end, they discover each other's humanity. So for myself, at the start of the movie, I saw the humanity in the nerd and the creative weirdo. But by the end of the movie, I saw everyone's humanity. Um, the song of that movie, what's it called? Will you walk on by or will you call my name? Like even after they made that connection, they didn't know if they would be able to keep it um, in the pressures of um, going back to their cliques. So what is a church like? Is a church like a clique where everyone is the same? Is that what you want? Or do you want it to be like Archie Comics or Sex in the City, where our personalities mix and mingle and somehow share life? Should there be one church for Virgos, one church for Pisces, one church for Capricorns? Or should we create room for all signs under the zodiac? Let's go back to the beginning of this church, 35 plus years ago. Some of you were there, or almost there. 
A minister at First Portland had the idea for a new church because the area was growing and there was room for another church. From the start, UUCCWC was a church of helpers, people who were out in the community making it a better place. And perhaps we inherited that from First Portland. A number of founders liked starting a new church because they liked the deep relationships that come from a smaller size. And even as our church grew, that love for fellowship stayed with us. We like to share life. And by historical accident, a number of musicians were part of the founders of this church. So right from the beginning, we were a musical church. of our founding identity. We're helpers, we have fellowship, and we are musical. And not everybody, our identity is broader than that, but those three attributes are part of our DNA. And there's a fourth attribute that I haven't verified has been true from the beginning. I think it has. Perhaps someone could tell me after service. Um, but I notice a lot of members have worked at Intel So, it might have been true from the beginning. So I wonder how much has this congregation been shaped by, by a corporate culture that's been on the leading edge of high-tech research for decades. Um, both the culture of excellence and the shadow side of corporate culture. I recently saw a computer that had a sticker on it that said, Intel inside. So, could we put that sticker on this church? I decided I'm not going to do a sermon called Intel Inside that felt like stirring the pot, um, exploring how we've been shaped by high-tech culture. Uh, but I do think one of the reasons I feel at home here is because I have a high-tech background. So I'm curious if you experience that influence, whatever your background is. And I'm curious what other influences you see on this church. So we're not just one thing. We're not just three things. We are a fabulous mix of backgrounds, personalities, passions, and quirks. And one core part of doing interim ministry is taking a fresh look at who we are and who we are called to be. A cater named Israel Galindo wrote a book called The Hidden Lives of Congregations. And he invites you to look at yourself and your church through different lenses to develop a deeper sense of who you are. Six spirituality styles, six ways of doing church. Uh, I wonder which ones resonate with you. There is the affective church. Affective means you have affection or more broadly you feel your feelings. You might call it a heart-centered church. You love being around people who share your values. So when you come, your heart opens, your shoulders relax, you just feel grounded and at home. An effective church is a safe harbor uh, in a less than ideal world. And I think of Carl Rogers' approach to therapy, where you love people just as they are, unconditional positive regard, empathy, non-directiveness, 
uh, meaning you don't try to direct other people's lives. Principle is acceptance of one another and encouragement to spiritual growth. And that to me sounds like what Galindo meant by an effective church. You are loved here and you blossom here. So you're a flower and the church, which is you, provides sunshine to help you to root and to grow. Quality style that Galindo describes is the seeker church or what Galindo actually calls the Church of Pilgrims. So you are on a journey, you have hopes for the journey, but you don't know exactly where the journey will go. You don't know how it will turn out. So if we, before we're thinking of a flower growing naturally when the sunlight and nutrients are there, the seeker grows differently. The seeker moves forward more intentionally, but is continuously surprised by what they find. The Pilgrim's Progress uh, describes the long and winding road, the obstacle course even, uh, that is the seeker's journey. You can only see as far as the horizon, and once you get there, you discover that you still have a horizon to draw you forward. Style is the cognitive church. So if the affective church is the heart, the cognitive church is the head. Seeker can become the thinker uh, while sitting around the campfire at night. You're just gazing into the flames. You have time to think. You grapple with the discoveries you've made. You look at them from every angle. You ask other people their perspective. You talk things through together. And then thinking becomes its own adventure. Uh, worlds open up to groups of thinkers sharing their thoughts with each other. Um, shadow side of that is you for, forget about the journey because you just love the thinking so much. For about 20 years, from the 1940s through the 1960s, hundreds of Unitarian and UU fellowships were created. That They didn't want ministers. They didn't want candles or stones. They didn't want rituals. Um, this time in our history is called the fellowship movement. Uh, and many of these fellowships were essentially discussion groups, just to explore the ideas of the day. I wonder if you've seen the comic, it's just one panel showing a Unitarian who has just died and is at the pearly gates. There is a sign with an arrow pointing to heaven, and another sign with an arrow pointing towards a discussion about heaven. <laughs> so, the Unitarian goes to the discussion. So that is a cognitive spirituality style. <laughs> and I believe in the yin-yang. I believe that one extreme gives rise to the other extreme. And that can happen to cognitive churches. So in the 1800s, Unitarians went to the extreme of thinking. Thinking for yourself was only newly accepted in religion, so of course they took it too far. Uh, people like Ralph Waldo Emerson. But then from extreme thinking came the opposite, no thinking at all. So Emerson wrote a book, wrote a, an essay about going for a walk in nature, just immersed in the moment, having what we might now call a direct experience of awe and wonder. 
Rather than trying to think his way to the divine, he simply went into the woods. Spirituality style, the mystic church. Rather than hymns with multiple verses, there are chants repeated over and over. And just sitting still and just being like our Sunday evening meditation group. Transcending the ordinary, they became known as the Transcendentalists. And Margaret Fuller was the editor of the Transcendentalist journal called The Dial. The original plan for The Dial was to explore this rebirth of spirituality. But Fuller was more interested in doing work in the real world. She wanted to make the world a better place. And I thought, why, why did she end up at that journal? I think that transcendentalism created a broader awareness, just tuning in, uh, put everything in a divine perspective. And from that perspective, Fuller was called to action. So she wrote about ending slavery, reforming prisons, women's rights. Gengush's two types of activist spirituality. First, there is simply being of service. So you help people right here, right now. People need coffee, so you make coffee. Your neighbor needs their eaves troughs repaired, so you repair their eaves troughs. You teach a child to read. You help someone who needs help using the bathroom. You pick up litter, even if you aren't the one to drop it. So Galindo calls this the servant style of spirituality, the servant church. And the other activist spirituality is what Galindo calls the Crusader Church. This is when you know what needs changing and you dedicate yourself to making that change. So you go on a crusade to end slavery. You go on a crusade to reduce global warming. You go on a crusade to create a social safety net. And you might not like the term Crusader Church because the word Crusader has some baggage to it. We don't necessarily look with fondness at the Crusades. That might be because when you think of yourself as a Crusader doing the work of the divine, you can justify all sorts of dominating behavior. So one person's Crusader is another person's imperialist. I will stick with Galindo's terminology and use the term Crusader uh, to remind us to be mindful when we take on the role of system changer uh, that we don't become arrogant or holier than thou. Spirituality styles, six ways of doing church. Effective or heart-centered, seeking, cognitive, mystical, servant, crusader. All can be fabulous, perhaps all have a shadow side of styles. Sometimes one style will dominate, but each style naturally births the next, so multiple styles are usually present, and they enhance each other. But sometimes they clash. Sometimes the styles clash. So imagine two friends in church or seekers exploring different ways of organizing community. One friend says, we figured it out. We found a better way. Now let's create the change. Let's start a crusade. The other friend says, hold on, we need to think this through. So instead of two seekers on a journey together, we now have a crusader at odds with a thinker. 
minds about legislation going through these days, the Crusader says we need to act now with our full voices. Here, the pride symbol this year is a brick because playing nice has not been working. Um, the clash between crusaders, seekers, and thinkers is part of the reason that half of Canadian UU ministers have resigned in the last three years. Yeah, so we could, we could talk about, uh, you know, how does my inner crusader get along with my inner seeker, even? Um, some congregations might become crusader congregations. Instantiating their beliefs is what feels most alive to them. Some congregations might specialize in being seeker congregations, saying that wherever you are on your journey of faith, you're welcome to think out loud here. The ministerial search committee will help you to discern what kind of minister you want next. Do you want a crusader helping you to change the world? Do you want a seeker exploring new ways and helping you to do the same? Do you want a servant working alongside you to help your neighbor? Do you feel like life is just too much? And what you need is an effective church with a minister who co-creates with you a resting place for your soul. For my next church, I want all of the above. I want it all. I want it all. I do, my inner salad dressing has Crusader, servant, seeker, mystic, thinker, and a heart. I want an effective church where I can show up to be fully open-hearted, loving, and being loved. And I want a church that does not shy away from the inherent tension between a crusader and a seeker. Celebrate the bringing together of difference. Sometimes it's easy to bring together difference, like a salad dressing where the various ingredients enhance each other and create a fabulous whole. But sometimes difference is hard. And I think when the difference is hard, we need to celebrate all the more because making room for our various styles is worth it. It takes all kinds. So please rise in body or spirit for our closing hymn, number 305 in the gray hymnal. That's number 305.